Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits. Welcome to you. I pray that these this year have been a blessing to you. It is my honor to bring them to you, and I pray that you are knowing Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, that you have come to know him as your own personal Lord and Savior, and that you are growing in the Lord as his disciple, as his follower, day by day, every day of the year. Today, I'd like to consider a passage in Revelation chapter 2, actually, that the Lord has been working in me these last few days. And I want to share it with you because it may be needful for you as well, and it may speak to your heart. And I trust that it will, especially if you are one who is serving the Lord in whatever he's called you to do, in whatever way, and sharing Jesus with others. I would first like to read Revelation chapter 2, and I want to read beginning in verse 1 for a few verses. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want to specifically hone in on a couple of verses from this passage and just discuss these things with you because they've really been burning in my heart lately. As we're just now completing the beautiful Christmas season, and what a joy to be able to experience and appreciate and treasure the birth of our Savior one more time as we remember it. You know, I was thinking this morning that it's similar to the feasts of Israel in that they were remembrances. They were memorials. They were times to pass on year after year after year the remembrances of what God did. And Christmas is similar to that for the Christian. It's not to that level, and they're not scripturally mandated, of course. And some people have differences of opinion about Christmas celebrations and this, that, and the other. And I know that Jesus was not born in December. I don't believe that. I, I know he was probably born in the fall feast time, and there's lots of reasons for that. And it may be that God would lead me to bring a message in reference to that in the near future, perhaps even in the next few days. I'll seek the Lord, and we will seek. But... What we do at Christmas is we do remember his birth and we try to pass it on. And I encourage you to always read the Christmas story 
read the birth of Jesus from the scriptures again every year at Christmas. You know, just like the Jews would read from their Passover in their Passover Seder, their order of service, they will read the things that they're to read and remember at the various festivals that they observe. And we need to be doing that as well and passing it on to our children year after year after year, reminding us, reminding them of Jesus, that he has come. Even if he didn't come in December, doesn't matter. The point is that we are celebrating the fact that he did come. God did give us that beautiful gift of his own son, his only begotten son, the only one that is born and begotten of the Father to save the world. Hallelujah. Praise be to God for his beautiful gift. And so we remember that at Christmas season. And then between Christmas and New Year's, of course, is a time for reflection. Time for reflection over the past year, over perhaps our past life as we get older. We tend to remember that, you know, the days that are behind us are more than the days that are ahead of us in the wintry season of our life, so to speak. And yet we reflect on what God has done. We reflect on his goodness. We reflect on where he's brought us from. But we also project forward and plan forward. Okay, Lord, as one year is drawing to a close and the next year is on the horizon, what do you have for us? What are we to be doing in our service to you? Sometimes we need to be reminded. Sometimes we need our vision to be restored or redirected, refocused. Sometimes we can get just lost in the bustle of life, in the hustle and bustle of life, in the cares of life. Not that we want them to choke out the word of God. I'm not talking about that, although they can, and we cannot allow that to happen. But sometimes just raising children or, or living life or taking care of our health or whatever it may be, dealing with various problems can become chores to us. And it makes it difficult sometimes to keep our focus where our focus belongs. And so I want to discuss this today briefly because the Lord has really kind of honed in on this with me the last couple of days as I've been reflecting and as I've been praying and seeking the Lord, and I still am, about the coming year and about the messages that I can bring and what can I do. Because this year has been very challenging for me personally in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that I'm struggling with and going through. And so I'm having to refocus and regroup with the Lord and say, okay, God, you've called me to teach and preach your word. How am I to do that now? What direction do I take in this coming year? And I'll be speaking more to that in a few messages to come. But in doing so, the Lord brought me back to this church and this letter. And I want to focus in on a couple of these verses. I really want to reread one or two of these verses and comment on them. In this letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is speaking and he is dictating this to John who's writing it. And he says in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And... You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered 
and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. I counted about nine things right there that Jesus specifically hones in on and says, man, I know A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus. He went down the list of about nine and it was like, check, 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 doing great, doing great. I know the sincerity of those works. I know that you are doing well with those things. I know that you're working for me and you are not becoming wearied and labored. You're not giving up. You're patient. You're enduring. You're continuing on. So he goes through this list of about nine things here that I read. And he says, check, check, check. And then he adds a tip one at the bottom after a few verses later, because he says that I also know that you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And that simply means that when the clergy rule, the, the laity rule, etc., it's talking about a structure of church leadership, etc., that that is opposed to the Lord that he doesn't like because it's a lordship kind of thing. But he lists about these nine or ten things, and they're doing great in every one of those things. They're doing wonderful there. But notice this, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you. One thing, you have left your first love. In other words, they had been so busy working for the king, doing great things, devoted to the king, sincere in their efforts, sincere in their service, working faithfully, doing great things, and enduring hardships, enduring and serving even when they were physically struggling or weary. But yet... They left their first love. It doesn't mean they abandoned God. It doesn't mean that they hated God and they had no longer loved him at all. It simply means that they had forsaken or left it. They had neglected it. They had omitted their first love. They had dismissed it. They had allowed it to become less intense. They had relaxed it neglected it. So it's not that they had abandoned it in the sense that they hated God. Of course, they still loved him, but their love wasn't as intense. Their focus wasn't as ardent and intense on him. They had allowed it to become less intense. Just omission, just neglect, simple neglect, maybe taking it for granted, whatever the case may be. And sometimes I know we can get like that. We can get so busy. Chuck Missler defines it this way. He says we can get so busy with the business of the king in working for him that we don't spend time with the king. And so it's important for us to remember he is the lover of our soul. He is our savior. Our first love, our foremost love, our chief and principal love, the most important love, the most important devotion, the most important devotedness and affection that we can have, the foremost one in order, in importance, in place in our life, 
the most important, the foremost love, the foremost devotion is to him. Yes, we need to be doing the work of the king. Yes, we do. He has told us to occupy until he comes, but we cannot neglect the beauty of our relationship with him. That's the most important. Barnes comments on this in his commentary, and he says that this is talking about it being less glowing and ardent than it was at the first. Our love, our affection, our devotion, showing less ardor of affection toward him directly than had formerly been done. Beloved friend, we have this tendency to do this. I love what Chuck Smith has to say about this in his commentary. He says this, what the Lord is really longing for was not so much works, but just a loving relationship with his people. I want to stop there for a moment and then read you the rest of his comments. But, you know, I, I was thinking about it this last week, all the way back to Adam and Eve, the whole point was fellowship and relationship with people. That's why he made man in the first place. That's why he crafted this beautiful place called earth as our home, gave us everything that we would need and made us and loved and looked forward to the cool of the day when he would come down and walk with Adam and Eve every day, spending time fellowshipping. I was thinking when God made the tabernacle, when he gave the pattern for the tabernacle to Moses, and told Moses to make it. The purpose, he says in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, is that I may dwell with him. God's always desired to dwell with his people. And now we just came through Christmas weekend. Today is Sunday after Christmas at the time of this recording and posting. And what was the name that the promised baby would be called, according to Isaiah? Emmanuel, God with us. It's always been about relationship and fellowship with him. That's what he wants. He wants our heart. He wants us to love him because we choose to. He wants us to spend time with him because we choose to, because we make it a priority in our lives. Chuck Smith goes on to say this, we are so often trying to substitute our works or efforts for just plain fellowship. And the Lord longs for just plain fellowship. Rather than busying yourself for him, he would rather that you just sit, relax, and share time and love and fellowship with him. I love that. And we need to be reminded of that as we are serving him. That what's most important our most important and chief love, affection, and devotion has to be to spend time with him. That's our first love. Let's not abandon it. Let's not let it drift away anymore. So God gives this church of Ephesus the solution to their problem. He says, first, remember from where you are fallen. In other words, call to mind, exercise your memory, fix your thoughts upon the place from which you dropped off, the place from which you were driven or moved out of your course. 
the place that you lost. Where were you then? What were you doing then? Before you fell, before you let this slip away, before it drifted off, before you neglected your first love and got so caught up in the works that you were doing for him that you weren't spending time with him. He says, first, we got to remember from where we were fallen. Second, repent. Notice this, even the church and the Christians in the church are told to repent. There is a repentance that leads us to salvation from a sinful lifestyle and from our past, yes, and that is necessary. Repentance is necessary. We no longer go the way we had been going, but now we do a U-turn and we come back and we come to him and we walk for him and toward him, growing closer to him every day. Repentance means to reconsider, to have a change of mind, change of mind that also results in a change of principle and practice. To change one's mind for the better, to reconsider, to think differently, to heartily amend with abhorrence of the old behavior. It's not just a change of mind, but it's a change of mind that results in an accordingly changed behavior or what some might call a course correction. He says we need to remember from where we've fallen, repent, change our course and get back on track. Get back to just loving Jesus. Get back, return. He says, return, do the first works again. Get back to our first love, most importantly. Occupy ourselves with the first love. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Get occupied again with him, with our relationship with him. Jesus gives the church a warning here. He says, if you don't, the danger or the risk is that you will be removed. He had identified himself as the one walking among the midst of the lampstands or the churches. In other words, he was saying, if you don't return to loving me, then your influence, your light will be extinguished and you'll be ineffective in your ministry. I don't want that for the ministry work that God has called me to do. I don't want that for you. And the key is that we've got to spend time with him. I've heard it said that the greatest ministry we have comes from the overflow of a beautiful, growing relationship with him. I can remember times in the past, not long ago, when I was devoted to the word, spending three, four hours a day, sometimes six, eight hours preparing, studying, loving him and loving his word. And I haven't abandoned all of that. No, not at all. Not at all. His word is still a passion to me. But sometimes it can become more about teaching and doing his work than about spending time with him. And we have to be aware of that danger. As a matter of fact, I want to close out by looking at a few final thoughts found through this passage in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 2, Beginning in verse 1, it says this, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, 
and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The danger is that we would drift away just out of simple neglect, just out of simple carelessness and neglect. When Hebrews is talking about drifting away here, it means to flow by, to carelessly pass, or to glide by, to glide away. It's the same word that's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. It always brings to mind, to me, the imagery of a boat that's at maybe a dock of someone's home at their lake or whatever, or maybe a campsite at a lake. And they've got it tied to the dock, but it's loosely tied, or it's carelessly tied to that landing. They didn't secure it. They didn't make sure it was good and tight and couldn't drift away. It was just a loose tying. And then with the constant, just even gentle, waves rippling in the lake, gentle waves, eventually and gradually that boat will drift off away from its place. And before you know it, the person would go out to get their boat and it's way, it's gone, or it's in the middle of the lake, or it's, you know, several feet away, hundreds of feet away or whatever. But it didn't happen overnight. It was an eventual and a gradual drifting away, lightly, gently, almost subtly. This drifting comes because of neglecting the great salvation that we've given, the great relationship that we're brought into through salvation. That just neglecting it, just being careless about it, not making it a priority, not caring for it seems to me that the author of Hebrews was definitely sharing the same heart as Jesus when Jesus wrote in Revelation 2 to the church at Ephesus, the church that was doing all the right things, all about the business of the king, all about working for him, but just simply drifting away little by little from the quality time with him and the relationship with him. Oh, beloved friend, I pray that we will no longer be that way, that we will not do that, that we will seek the Lord to be near to him, to just sit, relax, and enjoy the relationship with him. Yes, we are to occupy till he comes. Oh, yes, we are to work and serve him every single day of our lives. But make sure we don't sacrifice the chief love the chief affection, the most important devotion, the most important love. Let's not leave our first love. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And out of that, serve him. And our service to him will be far more blessed and much more effective. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits and other messages that we may bring. 
God's blessing to you in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.